Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 10 and we've come to verse 22. God willing, we'll finish this chapter today. We've seen how John's purpose, and it's written in the last couple of chapters of John, is to show that Jesus is the Christ and that believing in his name, you will have eternal life. The Christ, the Messiah. And I think there were lofty thoughts and definitions and certainly generalizations that were all focusing on the one who would come. And as it came to us, the word of God in the Old Testament, line upon line and precept upon precept, the identity of the Christ <clears throat> comes more clearly into focus by the time we have completed Malachi. One of the things that is clear is that he has come forth from eternity. Micah says that. The deity of the Christ was never in question, it seems to me, in the development of who he is across the Old Testament. But Jesus and John records eight miracles. We've talked about that. And those eight miracles were proof enough of his deity that he is God who has come in the flesh. But he has his enemies, these Jewish leaders. We've seen for the last several weeks that they have engaged him. And of course, even before that, they were conspiring on how to kill him. And so it comes to an even greater apex here as Christ more clearly defines who he is. The works he performed should have been enough. But we'll see why in the course of this discourse, it wasn't enough. So we begin here in verse 22. At, the, at that time, the Feast of Dedication. In the Intertestament period, the Maccabean period, Antiochus Epiphanes was uh, defeated. The, the enemies of the Jews were defeated and they created a feast. It's today Hanukkah. The Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It's not one that's listed in the law of Moses, but it is something that they celebrated. It was winter. Now that tells us it was the rainy season. It also tells us that Jesus here is about three months or so from the cross. By the time we get to John chapter 11, the rest of John's gospel deals with the final week of Christ. 
He leaves Jerusalem here. And then when he comes back to Jerusalem, to Bethany to raise Lazarus, and then into Jerusalem, Passion Week as it's called, and then the cross, the tomb, the resurrection, all of that comes from John chapter 11 onward. So this is the, this is utterly, literally the completion of the public ministry of Jesus Christ. He has been teaching in the temple. It was winter, rainy season. Jesus was walking into the temple in the porch of Solomon. This was covered. It had a, it had a covering. So the rain wouldn't bother them and it didn't affect his teaching and the crowds that came to hear his teaching. Therefore, the Jews encircled him and they were saying to him, how long will you hold our souls in suspense? If you are the Christ, then tell us plainly. How many times has he already said it? Has he already told them? He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He told the woman at the well, remember, and others as well. It reminds me of a, an episode of Andy Griffith. Barney was getting dressed down by this person. I mean, he was getting scolded and he was getting literally put down about as low as he could get put. And he squinted his eyes and took a step closer and said, if you've got something to say, why don't you just say it? Christ has said it. You see? But they want proof that they might, they want proof against him that they might feel further justified in their penalty of death against him as Jews. How long will you hold our souls in suspense? If you are the Christ, then tell us parousia, tell us plainly, clearly that you are the Christ. Well, Jesus will respond to that. And it's something we should take note. I want you to note three things here. Jesus answered them. I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in the name of my Father, these bear witness concerning me. Someone could call into question his claim to be the Son of God or to be the Messiah. Or to clearly be the manifestation of God as a human. Someone could deny, say, well, you just... Blowing smoke, he's just trying to trick us. But they could not deny the many miracles. Another thing that John says, that's nothing, it's John 20. Anyway, John 20 or 20, John says, Christ did so many things 
that there aren't enough books in this world to contain the record of what he did. Luke, you may remember when we went through Luke, somewhere along in the middle of Luke, this was said about Jesus and he healed them all. It was in the context of people bringing their, their sick, their afflicted, demon possessed all day into the evening. Christ healed them all in the thousands, healed the sick, raised the dead, stopped the storm. Cast out demons. Could do anything. He's God in the flesh. So it's not that they were without proof. It's, it's not that there was a statement made by the very life and general work of Christ that he performed through his hands the work of God, there was more than sufficient proof that he is the Christ of God. If you're the Christ, tell us plainly, I've told you and you don't believe the works that I do in the name of my father. Now, remember, we've seen this and it's been developed in not just this gospel, but the other gospels we've studied together. The will of the Father is executed in time and space by God the Son, who is thus empowered by God the Holy Spirit. The triunity of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I only do the works of my Father, Christ you follow it all the way through. Christ never did anything in and of himself. He was always completely, absolutely performing the works of his Father according to the will of the Father. These bear witness concerning me. You already have your answer. Number two, but you do not believe. They would not believe, and therefore they, it gets to the point where Christ even says later, you could not believe. Why? Because you are not from among my sheep. Think of that. Christ said to them, you are not mine. That's straightforward. That's a frightening thought. There is a biblical truth that I will spend into the ages of the ages seeking to understand more and more. Why are these in heaven? And those in hell. Why am I here? And so many are not. It's a great question. 
it can only be answered like this. Because it pleased God that I was there. The will, the pleasure of God. You remember John 6 a few weeks ago? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. We studied that in its Greek text. It's absolute. It's undeniable. All that the Father gives to me, minus none, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And all who come to me, I will never ever, remember that Greek phrase, I will never ever, not never, double negative in the Greek. I will never ever cast him out. I've come to do the will of my Father who sent me. What is his will? That of all he gives to me, I will lose not one, but raise him up. At the last day, the will of the Father. He said in another chapter that we studied, you won't come to me unless the Father calls you. If the Father calls you, you'll come. If he doesn't call, you won't come. Salvation is never a man-made thing. It cannot begin with you. You can't stir it up. You can't initiate it. It is always initiated by God who has settled in in all of eternity. He's God. He can do that. I don't understand everything about that. But I know the Bible teaches it. So then Christ says, let me tell you. Boy, this is pretty straight to these guys, right? Let me tell you why you don't believe even though I have done things that the Old Testament said that Messiah would do. You remember the blind man who was blind from birth? And even the blind man knew that part of the Bible. Where the Bible says in the Old Testament that no one ever heals a blind man but the Christ. And he did. Blind from birth. Born Blind and Christ gave him his sight. Even the blind man gave a lesson to the Jewish leaders who said, Nobody in all of history has done this. Only the Christ can do this. That's just one of the things Christ does raise the dead, heal the sick, restore limbs that otherwise were not there practically, and so forth and so on. I've done all of these things, but you don't believe because you are not from among my sheep. Earlier, remember, Christ said, as he pretty much placed himself in the position of the shepherd of the sheep, Psalm 23, my sheep, they know my voice. They hear me. I call them. They'll come to me. They'll come to me. They won't go to a stranger, but they'll come to me. I gave you the illustration. I saw it myself in the Holy Land so many years ago 
all those shepherds and all those sheep and that one shepherd out of the place of that oasis, the place of midday rest, began to walk and he never looked back and he began to yodel. He began to yodel. And just the sound of his voice was enough to separate his sheep from all the others. It didn't mean a thing to all those other sheep. That voice didn't mean a thing to them. But the ones who were leaving were leaving because they heard the voice of their shepherd. They know him. As I have lived these so many years, so much I didn't really grasp as a young Christian, and so much yet still to grasp after nearly 50 years of preaching through the Bible, every verse, every book, even in its original text. And every time I go through it again, it's more and more clear to me that it is all of God and none of me. And it strikes me down to my face. Because the plain truth, as, we, as we've already seen it in John's gospel, you can't be saved until God calls you to be saved. What a thought. Well, I didn't really think about that for so many years, but I'll tell you this. Peter said we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the more you know about Christ, the more you have to attribute everything to grace. Just grace. None of me. Not one thing. I've do, I've listen. I've done too many things to negate stuff. If you look at life like it's on some kind of scale, our thoughts condemn us. Who can stop a thought? So then Christ says, I'll tell you why. You don't believe even though you've seen the works and I've told you. I'll tell you why you don't believe. Because you don't belong to me. Man. That takes a lot of thought and meditation, prayer, and Bible study. But we make a mistake if we take this doctrine and look at it as it, as it applies to others. The beauty is when you take it and apply it to yourself. He called me. I don't know why. Listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good catch. That doesn't matter. It's the power of God that's on display. It's nothing about me. It's the power of God and his, his willingness to save. If not for grace, we're all lost. And the whole of humanity will just be dumped out into hell without one single person being saved. Thank God he intervened. And at least called some of us. I don't understand all of that, except that Paul says in Romans, who are you to tell the potter what to do with his clay? The potter fashions it as he wills and makes what he wants to make. That's all I know. What a, what a profound thing. But these guys were so hard-hearted, that didn't mean anything to them. That's why I've told you in the past 
People who don't have the spirit of God, they haven't been born from above. They can't get anything out of the scripture because they're dead and the Bible is alive. The Bible lives. It bears witness with the spirit of those who are born from above. And it teaches us and it enables us and it strengthens us and it matures us. We don't start out at the finish line. It wasn't the first thing that Abraham was asked to do to offer his only son. Thus Christ would bring to these who thought they were Old Testament biblical scholars of their day something they should have understood by the election of Israel in the Old Testament. I'll tell you why you don't believe. Because you're not one of mine. You're not one of mine. Then he explains it. Three things here, A, B, and C. Number one, my sheep hear my voice. Number two, I know them. You remember how we talked, the age-old records teach us that these Middle Eastern shepherds named their sheep. Why not? If my dog had a litter of puppies more than once, we'd name those things. Here come the sheep and he did so you know, I know them. I know the little problems this one has. I know how stubborn this one is. I got to watch this one. He wants to get out of the fold, but I'll keep my eye on him. And if he leaves, I'll go and get him. I'll leave them in the safety and I'll go and get him. Why? Because he belongs to Christ. What a benefit of salvation. I know them. You know what that says to you and me if we're in Christ? It says that he knows us. That's mostly embarrassing. But then it's joyful because he saved me anyway. He pleads my case anyway as my high priest in heaven. He comes for me anyway when he comes again. I know them because they're mine and they follow me. If you are in Christ, I'm sure that your testimony is like mine. I have never, ever in any wit at all had any sort of desire, unction or whatever to follow any other teaching than that of the Bible. Never have. I'm dead to it. It's nothing to me. And when I discover in my Bible study and prayer time, when I discover that the word reveals something in my life wherein I have not been a follower, I will repent and confess and begin to follow. And I, I, we're, there's all, there's all, I'm not glorified yet. You're not either because the resurrection hasn't come. But there's always room for spiritual improvement. Why? 
because we're following our shepherd. Now there are three offshoots of that. Number one, they shall never perish. Never perish. Never die. Life. They shall always have life. Number two, life. This is the literal, I translate it literally, just like it says up here. They follow me and they shall never perish into the age. Eston Elna. Into the aeons of aeons of aeons. And then there's a third thing. No one. Man, that is so strong in the original text. It's strong in the, in the English text. Never, never. Kauk. And never ever tis anyone will seize them ek out of tis keras mu out of the hand of me or out of my hand. No one. I'm saved. I'm saved. I wasn't saved by my power. I was awakened miraculously and divinely out of spiritual death. Nor can I keep myself saved. I have to have a Savior who died to save me, who lives to keep me. He is enthroned on a throne of what? Grace. Not yet a throne of wrath, not yet the great white throne, a throne of grace. Where sin abounds, grace, oh, so much more abounds. Thank God. He says this because he knows that there is this dual absolute power that keeps me. And here it is. No one will ever seize them out of my hand. My father gave them to me. And he is greater than all, than all. You see that? That's, a, that's an all-inclusive word. Panton. From pas, it means everything, everything, everywhere, everything. Paul puts it like this in the great closure of Romans 8. Neither height nor depth nor things above nor things but He just goes on and on and he talks about the thing. He said nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing that has existed, no spiritual power, no physical power, nothing that has ever been able to, nothing that has ever been created is able to keep me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can seize me because I'm in the Father's hand. I'm in the hand of Christ. The absolute powerful hand placed me into the absolute powerful hand of the Son. Out from eternity and into time and space. Never, ever, 
No one will ever seize them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to seize them out of the father. I'm not even able to do it. I'm part of everything. Is able to seize them out of the father's hand. And then he makes the statement of his deity. I and the Father are one. Mm. We've studied it in the scriptures, we know, but just to summarize, this eternal covenant that was bound between the Father and the Son from before the foundation of the world and the Lamb's book of life was established. Then comes creation. I and the Father are one. They are in absolute agreement over my salvation. It's too much for me to think about. No wonder he gives me eternal life because there aren't enough lifetimes to praise him for this. To exalt him and to honor him. For what he, what the Father has done for me through Christ Jesus, my Lord. We'll talk, talk about that a little bit more here in just a second. Because of the language. Therefore, again, the Jews took up stones that they might stone him. This is what they're looking for. Forget the works of the Father. Forget the testimony of Christ. This is what they're looking for. They just wanted to hear him say something like that. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, we do not stone you for a good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them. Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? That's in Psalm 82 and verse 6. It's talking about the elect of Israel, those who belong to God. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came... And the scripture is, is not able to be broken. It's unable. The scripture cannot be broken. The word of God. Do you hear this? The scripture cannot be broken. We go through time and we grow mature as Christians and we start out with some sort of man-made thoughts about God and about Christianity and about the Bible and about the world and about other people and all this kind of thing. But if we spend our lives as disciples of Christ and we study the word and we seek to obey him more and more, we see things in the scripture that we didn't see before, but now we see it. You know why? Because the scripture cannot be broken. Traditions are strong, but the word of God is absolute. And sovereign above everything else. It cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the cosmos? Now the word is, it's not chaos, it's not the word, it's cosmos. I've pointed this out. It's, he came into the time-space continuum and he, well, he created it. God the Son is the agent of creation. All things were made by him, for him. And so forth, Colossians. Him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the cosmos. 
This is what separates the Son of God from the saints of God who are seen as identified with God because they belong to God. But the Son is God. The Father sanctified him and sent him into the cosmos. Sanctified, that's in an aorist tense in the Greek. Aorist means it's a one-time successful action and it happened and it's unchangeable. The work of Christ, which is to gather his own to himself, is unstoppable, irreversible, irrevocable. It cannot be reversed because of the very language that gives us the teaching. And sent him into the cosmos. You say of him, you blaspheme. Because I said, I am the son of God. If I do not the works of the father, do not believe me. The prophecies of the Christ in the Old Testament are undeniably fulfilled in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. However, if I do, even if you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and may understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. The problem with the human race in its fallen condition is that we think we can understand God the Father apart from God the Son. You can't do it. It's impossible. The Almighty God, the Godhead, God Almighty, He's too much. We live in, what, three dimensions of space and one dimension of time? He belongs to infinite dimensions of both. We can't understand. We can't crawl into that. I had a seminary professor who tried to describe it this way. He, back in those days, I love Lucy. 80% of you don't know what I'm talking about. Black and white. You got some explaining to do. Lucy. Ricky Ricardo. So here they are. We look at them on television. And they are two-dimensional. They could never crawl out of that TV tube and be anything but two-dimensional. They don't understand three dimensions. If you want to personify people showing up in a black and white tube of television. Two-dimensional. It'll always be two-dimensional. Thus, we cannot... Understand the Father unless we understand Him in the Son. God has accommodated Himself to time and space in the flesh of the Son of David. And He did all that was required in obedience to the will of the Father, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies with regard to the first coming of the Christ. All of that for us. Therefore, they were seeking again 
to seize him. But he went forth out of their hand. It was not his time. We've talked about this. His time is coming at the next Passover from this time perspective. And there's not any creature at all that can stop him before he gets to the cross. There, because I'm in Christ from forever, he will redeem me, pay the ransom for me, that I might be free. And he will carry all of my sins that he gathered to himself on the cross into the tomb and he will put them there and there they will stay. And then he emerges from that tomb with me in his heart and you if you are his. And the same resurrection power that brought him out of that grave will bring me out of my grave. And like the, you know, the the picture of the Christ in the revelation. He's seen on the throne. He's, you know, hair like wool, eyes like fire, feet like all that. And he's, he has these two stones, the, the yaspis and the carbuncle. The, the one is diamond, clear, beautiful, and the other one is blood red. And it's the two stones of the first and the last of the sons of Israel, sons of Jacob. Reuben, behold my son. Benjamin, the son of my right hand, the son of my authority. As the high priest, here is how he is seated. As he intercedes for me, even this moment, interceding for me and for all who are his, because he carries us on his great breastplate of the great high priest, the son of the authority of the father. It will be that one who will carry all that is wrong with me to the cross. It will be that one who will leave all that is wrong with me in the grave. It is that one who will bring me forth in resurrection power. And some infinitely glorious day, he will call my name. Get up and come up here. And I will, not by my power, but by his power. I and the Father or one. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And He came into this world to save sinners. The great truth of the Bible is that if you'll admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call on Him to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God will save you in Christ. And you can only come to that point, not by your own power, but by the power of God. Thank God for it. 
If you would come to Christ today, we have deacons and their wives in rooms right across the hall as you exit. You'll see them. And they're there to pray with you and to speak with you about that. Maybe you're here and you want to come having already been saved. You want to come and be a part of Shiloh. They are prepared to pray with you and talk to you about that. Very important thing in the life of a Christian. So you think of that as you exit today and as the Lord deals with you. But for now, would you prayerfully stand all over this room? And let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God in heaven, Lord, thank you for your precious holy word. Thank you, O oh God, that when Adam fell, you just didn't discard all of us, but you had a plan to save us. You provided your only son to be our Savior, and sent the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and prick our hearts, and by your power drew us to yourself. Oh, God, thank you for that. Thank you for your word that teaches us more and more about who you are and about who we are. Thank you for all who have come today. We pray now that you'll bless us in this week and all that we seek to do. May we seek to do it for your glory. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.